Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to Vineyard Community Church. We're glad you're with us as we continue on in a series today that we're doing called Naturally Supernatural. And um, this series is all about looking at Jesus as our model for life and ministry and, um, and then seeing how we can apply that into our own lives and in, in in, in become a naturally supernatural people. And uh, we're looking at various encounters he had along the way, particularly in the book of John. But I was thinking, um, we were doing a, we're doing a back-to-school prayer weekend this weekend, so I thought maybe some, some really silly jokes would be appropriate. Not like I never, ever do silly jokes. But uh, um, we have, and this isn't really a joke, sort of, this is what made me think about it. We have a saying around here, um, when things are really busy, that's, how do you eat an elephant? And the answer to that question is, one bite at a time. And that's how sort of approach it. But I, I saw some silly things about elephants that I thought kids would like, and uh, we're all just big kids, right? What do you call an elephant that never washes? Smelly fin. It's bad, isn't it? But I thought the kids would like it. What did Tarzan say when he saw the elephants coming over the hill? Here come the elephants over the hill. <laughs> no. You might think that's the stupidest thing ever. I laughed in my office for about five minutes. I almost couldn't pull it together. <laughs> because, uh, anyway. What did the mouse say to the elephant? Squeak? I don't know. I don't know what mice say. Okay, that's all I got for that. But that was enough, right? Our scripture reading for today is John 8, 12. You can look at it if you want. First thing in your bulletins, it says this. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So in this series, we're, we're talking, as I said, about living naturally supernatural lives. Jesus, once again, our model for life and ministry. Jesus is humanity as God intended it to be. And that uh, in these lives, we have resources available to us like Jesus did of prayer and the Word and the Holy Spirit. And um, we're, we're looking at the idea of being naturally supernatural, doing what he did. And we've said over and over again that in order to do what he did, we need to see like he saw, think like he thought, serve like he served, and love like he loved. So far, we've looked at an encounter with uh, Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And we saw how Jesus loved Nicodemus, but in, in order to get to Nicodemus, he had to let uh, Nicodemus, who was very proud in his, uh, in his works and in who he was, um, Jesus had to connect him with the fact that he was a sinner. He did it in a very gracious way and that he needed grace. Um, uh, then we looked in John 4, an encounter he had with a Samaritan woman at a well. Uh, here was a woman who knew she was a sinner. And what Jesus had to do with her in grace was to connect with her in such a way that she knew that she was a person of value and worth to get her to the Lord. We, we saw an encounter Jesus had at the pool of Bethesda with a man who had been an invalid for 38 years and he told him to get up and walk. And we, we saw in that how Jesus saw him and he had been alone for a long, long time. No one had seen him. And Jesus loves him well. Last week, we, uh, we talked about the feeding of the 5,000. And we saw how Jesus um, ministered to his disciples as well as this bigger group, trying to get his disciples to see the bigger picture and to, to develop hearts of compassion, that that's a foundation in being naturally supernatural. Well, today we're going to look at another encounter, this time in John chapter 8. Um, and this story is known as the, the woman caught 
in adultery. And that's a pretty well-known story, but there's some fascinating concepts that we can get from here about being naturally supernatural. So let's hop right in. John 8, 1 through 6. I'm going to read you the whole story, 12 verses. We'll start with the first six. Uh, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And, and so I stopped there because I want to put the first point there on your, on your notes is what was Jesus writing? What was Jesus writing? Here's the thing. Nobody knows. And the reason I think that's important is that a lot of people have a lot of ideas and some people are convinced that they know exactly what Jesus was writing, but the Bible never tells us. So if you have in your mind you know what Jesus was writing because somebody told you, now, there's lots of suggestions. Um, some say he was writing down the sins of the accusers. Um, some say he was writing down the Ten Commandments. Um, quoting, you know, he could have been writing other verses. Who knows? I used to say to people, he could have been kneeling down and playing tic-tac-toe, but they thought I was being irreverent, so I've quit saying that. Uh, now I think he was probably just writing his thankful five for the day. And... And since Jesus was writing his thankful five every day, so should you. <laughs> no. Um, I go back to how I started that. Uh, we don't know what he's writing. Um, he, he might not have been writing anything. We don't know what he was doing. But just so I, I bring that up because I have people sort of, they're convinced that they know what he was writing because somebody said, hey, well, and we just don't know. It's not there. It's not for us in Scripture. We don't know what he was writing. Um, and, and so that's really not the big part of the story because some people have made that the part of the story. All right, it goes on, verse 7. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. See, that verse 12 seems to start a new thought, but I think it ties in with what we've just talked about in this way, that, that naturally, supernatural people, people who are following Jesus, have the light of life in them and not the darkness of legalism. And, and what we're going to do is, in this encounter, we're going to look at how the established uh, religious community treated this woman and how Jesus treats her. And, and the Pharisees demonstrate the darkness of legalism while Jesus is going to demonstrate for us the light of grace. So go ahead. Point number two was up there a second ago. We're going to talk about the darkness of legalism. The darkness of legalism. Now, understand this, that um, 
The Pharisees and the teachers of the law represent the established religious community. And they treat this woman very poorly in this process. And, it's, and unfortunately, it's what legalism always does because there's these things about it that begin to happen and creep in. And, and the first thing is this, it's the letter A under number two, is that the darkness of legalism doesn't care about people. It just doesn't care about people. What it starts to care about is the rules and the regulations, not about the people. Remember, initially, the rules and regulations were somehow designed, they thought, to help people or protect people, but they never worked that way. They, they become something different in our relationship with God. And it's also very easy to write off the Pharisees as just a group of bad people, but they weren't. You know, the Pharisees started with good intent. Um, a couple hundred years before Christ came, the, the Pharisees were, got together in order to try and protect their heritage, to protect Judaism, because the world was being Hellenized. And that means they were being, um, the Greek culture was coming and taking over everything. And they wanted to protect their own culture. So they got together uh, and, and tried to form a group in order to protect Judaism from this onslaught. And, and, and so they had good intentions. See, a lot of times people get together with good intentions. And then all of a sudden it morphs into something else over time. And that's what had happened in a couple hundred year period. They had become these people of legalism who had stopped caring about people. And as the representatives of God... That's what we're supposed to be all about. So legalism doesn't care about people. It cares about the rules. John 8, 3. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery, and they made her stand before the group. So, so now think about this. Jesus is teaching. There's a bunch of people around. The Pharisees come trotting in with this woman who's been caught in the act of adultery, and they, they just shove her up in front of this entire group. I mean, they have absolutely no concern or care for her at all. They're just using her as a trap. They don't care about her. But it's a picture of legalism. It, it begins to lose the concept that what we're here for, that our ministry is about getting people back in relationship with God. It's about people. That's the focus. But they lose the focus. And, and so uh, you can see it just plain as day in that illustration. This is what it looks like. We don't care about this woman. We're just going to use her at this point to, to try and trap Jesus. So we don't care if we ridicule her or embarrass her or point out her stuff or anything else. We don't get up there. All right. Uh, another thing about legalism, this is a point B in your notes, is that it's selective. It's selective. John 8, 3a says again, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. Last time I checked, it takes two people to commit adultery. They were caught in the act. Where was the man? Could have been one of them, for all that matter. Could have been something happened. Where was he? See, it's highly selective. And if you think about um, the trends today where, the, where, where it's very legalistic, it's, it's highly selective, and they target certain things and not other things. And that's because they don't care about people. And, and they, they only care about the rules and the regulations, and they, they become extremely selective. We saw it in, in, you know, in Jesus' day in our studies, how at that point in time, they had sinners and tax collectors. Sinners and tax collectors. You think sinners ought to cover it, but they had picked a special group that was even worse. 
tax collectors. And, and so they target them. See, it's, it's legalism is highly selective. And, and, and it, it just picks on certain things. Um, and generally, when people are very legalistic, they pick on sins that they don't, but not always true too. They might have them as well and act like they don't, but they go after other things and like, because uh, uh, they don't care about people. So it's highly selective in the process. And the other thing about legalism, third little point, there's a C there, is it always focuses on the punishment. John 8, 5. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? And see, legalism today is still all about the punishment. And it sort of likes to tell people, you know, that, that they're going to hell. It, it doesn't point them to a God that loves them um, and, and lets them know that he made a way for them to have eternal life. It just points at their sin and tells them that they deserve to die. And unfortunately, it, it's, it's all over the place. And it's... Uh... See, see, and the thing is, biblically... The Bible says that, that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I get that. It also says that the wages of sin is death. That's true. But it's, that's not the, the focus. Um, the, the focus isn't on the negative. When Jesus came, remember we even looked at John 3.16. He came to save, not condemn. See, there's a, there's a huge difference in that concept. And whenever we see Jesus interacting with sinners, he's not dropping this this heavy bad news on them like the Pharisees would. He keeps trying to give them something else. He keeps trying to offer them hope. See, he comes bringing light, not darkness. And that's the difference. That's one of the best ways we can, we can evaluate our message. Is it a message of hope and grace and light? Or is it a message of darkness and condemnation? And if it's, if it's not hope, grace, and life, we're, we're not doing it the way Jesus did. And see, the reality of all of this is, is that because Jesus is the only one without sin, see, he's the only one who could have picked up a, throw, a stone and thrown it in that story. Do you get that? Of all the people that were assembled in that place who, who had a, uh, the ability because of their sinlessness to throw a stone, because that was a condition. Here, anybody without sin, pick up a stone. He's the only one who could have, and yet he chooses not to. See, and that's, that's huge. He chooses not to. That's the model of Jesus. The only one who could have thrown a stone chose not to. See, he demonstrates the light of grace. So let's talk about that. Third point, what is the light of grace that we're walking in? What is it to, to be naturally supernatural? I said is to walk in this light that Jesus gives us, the light of the world, the light of grace. The first thing that it does, A, is it cares about people first and foremost, not about the rules. See, see this, that's, and that, that's a paradigm shift for a lot of people. It cares about the heart of people first and foremost, not just jumping into what they're doing that they shouldn't be doing and labeling them. We talk about this all the time. It cares about people. It cares about restoring people into relationship with God. It realizes, grace, that the reason that we're still here is that that's our message. It's not to point out to people how bad they are. People know that already. It's to tell them there's a way back. It's to tell them God loves them so much he made a way in Christ, that it's, it's a, this very hopeful message. And it's not just about, well, you're breaking the rules, you're breaking the rules, you're breaking the rules, you deserve to die. It's, it's we've all broken the rules, and God's made a way for us to have life. John 8, 10. Jesus straightens up and asks her, Woman, 
where are they? Has no one condemned you? See, I love this about Jesus. I, see, here's this group. They've dragged up this poor woman in, in who knows what state of, of you know, dress she's in or anything else, caught in the act of adultery. They've just dragged her up here in front of everybody. And they've all been pointing their fingers at her. And she's standing there. Um, uh, she, she's got to be horrified, humiliated, beyond what we can even imagine, um, uh, thinking that they're about to kill her, that she's about to die, that they're going to pick up stones and literally stone her to death. She's standing there. Uh, the people all leave except for Jesus. And I love that Jesus just stands up there, and I'm sure he just stands up right next to her. And it seems a little harsh the way it's saying there, but I think he's, he's saying, hey, look, they're all gone now. You're okay. It's going to be all right. You don't need to be afraid. Um, and and he's, he's, he asked her, you know, has, has anybody here condemned you? Now, see, behind that is this, and it's the second B, and why we're supposed to be a people of grace, is that the light of grace helps us all to understand that we are all sinners. See, we're all sinners. Except for Jesus, like I said, everybody there was a sinner. And uh, he, he went on, when they kept on questioning him, verse 7, he straightened up and said to them, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw in a stone at her. Well, the point that he's making is this. How can a group of people who have all sinned get judgmental? Do you get it? How does a group of people who everyone has sinned and who continually sin? You, you may not be doing the same stuff you were doing, but we all got stuff still. Maybe it's smaller stuff. But remember the sin scale I've talked about? It doesn't matter how small you think it is. It's sin. How does a group of people that are sinners point the finger at other people for their sin? See, that's the big question. That's, and that's a huge question, too. How do you do it? Jesus says you can't do it. The only one who could have thrown a stone didn't. He's our model. We, we can't even... So how would we even begin to think that we can start being finger pointers and stone throwers in, in the concept of life? So, so we shouldn't be doing it. And we need to extend grace and mercy, hope. See, and that's the third, the, the C, the little C, is that the, the light of grace always offers hope of a righteous life, of a righteous life. John 8, 11, no one, sir, she said, then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. See, when I talk about grace, I think sometimes then people think that I take sin lightly, and I don't, and Jesus didn't take sin lightly either. It's, and it's not that we don't need to deal with it, because we do. Uh, we talk about that all the time. When we mess up, we need to get it and go back to God and ask for forgiveness and, and be empowered by the Lord to do better and do the next right thing. This is all the discussions we have. But, but what Jesus does is love people in such a way that they can change. And that's the whole deal. See, I think people get loved into change. And, and legalism doesn't really want people to change. They just want them to know how bad they are and what lies ahead. They don't, there's no, and the, and the hope that they offer is not hope. See, and the, and the thing is, because Jesus loved this woman, he did. He was able to say to her, Go now and leave your life of sin. You can't keep living this way. It's not okay. I don't condemn you, but you can't keep doing it. You need to change. But see, if you don't love people, you never can tell them that they need to change. 
The two go hand in hand. And it's part of the process of this life. Um, you, you'll, you'll never, if you don't love people, you'll never help them to leave their life of sin and have the hope of a life with God forever. See, that's, and that's what it's all about. One more. That's what it's all about. And, and because we've all been there, it ought to make perfect sense to us. And that we, we're still not right. We're in process. We, we ought to be able to embrace this. And, and this encounter, again, it shows the importance of seeing the beauty of people's potential. Um, of being a people of grace and mercy as we walk out this naturally supernatural life. Um, you know, I've been, I've been saying on and off for the last year or two that, that the church has lost its voice. And the reason that we lost our voice is that we became stone throwers somewhere along the line. And we, we shouldn't ever be stone throwers because we're still a mess. And yet we just started to pick up that thing and point at people and pick on people and tell them how bad they were and judge them. And we stopped loving them well like Jesus did. We stopped standing there saying, who condemns you? We, we started condemning people just like the Pharisees. We got lost along the way, the church did. And, and the culture now is at a place where it, it responded by muting us. In my mind, that's the picture. I've told you that. They just hit this giant mute button and went, bloop. We're not going to listen. And then they systematically removed us from the culture. They took us out of the schools and out of the, out of the systems, and they don't want prayer, and they don't want us to talk about Jesus, and they don't want us to have, we can't have, you know, statues, and they don't want this. And, 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 and we, we, we are in awe and shock. But what did we, at the same time, we, we kept making it look like something it wasn't. They didn't become symbols of hope and love and grace and, and, and a righteous life. It became, a, it became symbols of mean and uncaring and pharisaical. And, you know, so they, in this country, they push us over into Sunday. Here you go. You can have the weekend. We, we, won't even, we won't mess with you. Just don't mess with the rest of our week. And we became secularized. We lost our voice. But we can get our voice back. We just got to start loving people again. We've got to love them the way that Jesus did. We've got we to do the things Jesus did. Um, We've got to see like he saw and think like he thought and serve like he served and love like he loved. And as we do those things, we get our voice back. And people will listen because they want to hear it. You know, in these encounters, these people all wanted to know there was hope. They all, they all wanted to know there was a way out, that there was something more. And they, they, they didn't see it in the representatives of God that existed at the time because they didn't give it. They didn't offer it to them. They just kept putting this burden on them that they would never make it. They would never be good enough. And, and what we need to, to tell people is that, that Jesus loves them. We need to love them enough that we can offer them the hope of, a, of change. And see, that's a big part of the naturally supernatural life. We can't We'll never really do the things he did and see the supernatural stuff that we all want to see if we're not coming from a place that loves well. If we're all high and mighty, self-righteous, finger-pointing, we, we, you know, we might as well just stay inside and shut the doors because we don't want to infect anybody with that. See, so that's what we're called to. 
is a life that, that cares, that loves, of mercy and grace. We call it radical generosity, radical hospitality, that gets out there and touches the world. It's why we're, we keep doing the car washes. It's why we, because we want to bless people. We, we want to mess up the stereotypes. We, we want to see that the, 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 the church isn't just trying to point their finger and take their money. That we're here to, to let them know that God loves them and made a way for them. That's why we feed everybody. That's, it's all about those things. See, what can we do to love people back to a place where, where then we can say in the humility that God gives us and, and under the unction of the Holy Spirit, but there's some things that need to change in all of us. See, that's, that's part of this process. Very powerful story. I hope you'll think about it during the week. And, and you know, that, that we, to be naturally supernatural, we walk after the light of the world in the light of grace, delivering that to the world. Amen? Amen. All right, thanks for watching. If you're watching on video or TV, God bless you. And um, you can call us, write us, whatever. If you need anything, go to our website. We'll do whatever we can to help. Hope to see you soon. We're going to close here with prayer. So uh, that's how we'll end this, uh, this time.